Great. Well, it's a great joy to uh, be preaching here tonight. Uh, I don't often get the chance um, in the evening because um, Anne and I are normally over in West Lothian, but I've, uh, we've skipped this afternoon. Uh, and uh, uh, dealing with this absolutely fantastic subject of faith. Are you faith people tonight? Yeah? Um, well, let's hope by the end you will... Uh, have more kind of expectation of God breaking in in really extraordinary ways in your life. Uh, this is called uh, the uh, Israel's Conquest. Uh, that was, um, I think, Luke's, Luke's title. Uh, uh, I, uh, I kind of got Walls of Jericho. That just gives you an idea where we're going. Okay. Um, or, what I like to say is the, the case, the mysterious case of Anthony Clifton Brown. Or, <laughs> God and the Red Jumper. So we've got lots in store here, okay, uh, of actually unusual things that happen in your life. Think, ways that God breaks in and actually demonstrates himself. That everybody else is like, would not see it maybe, but you know, wow. That is absolutely extraordinary because for you, it just has huge kind of import and meaning for you. So uh, I'm going to kick off. Uh, we're in Hebrews 11. If you want to follow it in your uh, Bibles, please do. Um, we have just one verse uh, in Hebrews, okay? And uh, we've been working through this. Uh, we've been looking a lot at different characters, different people. Uh, and we're going to be looking at this, this verse, verse 30, um, tonight. Okay, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Many other passages that we've actually looked at and we'll be looking at um, in Hebrews 11 by the writer of Hebrews is um, start off sort of like this. By faith, Moses. By faith, the prostitute Rahab. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. But the first thing we notice here when we're looking at this, this verse is that there isn't a person's name included there. Clearly, the faith that is lifted up for us, because that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing, he's lifting up, he's saying, look, you know, look at this faith, now be a people of faith. Listen to this, this person or look at this thing and see and expand your faith. Believe God. And what's he saying? He's saying, by faith, the walls of Jericho. I didn't know the walls of Jericho could have faith. <laughs> so obviously it's not walls that have faith. Um, well, you think, oh, well, yeah. you're, 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 you're getting at Joshua here. You're actually saying you wanted to lift up Joshua. You know, he was obviously crucially involved, as we'll see in a moment, uh, in leading the army, a man of faith, definitely a man of faith. Why, he, why isn't he mentioned? You know, he's not mentioned at all in the whole chapter. And he's not even in this, which, which should be the one where he's mentioned. He's not mentioned. Okay. Um, why, what is it that the author's trying to bring out in this passage? 
And I want to say, first off, is that it's about a people. It's about a people of faith. So this differs a little bit from the others. This is about the corporate community of God's people. It's great that we have significant characters lifted up. Abraham and the prostitute Rahab. And we can identify with them and see them exercising faith personally. But there's also a place for corporate faith. For a corporate faith, believing God together. We've even had it even in the worship. We had, isn't it good that the brethren dwell together? In unity, there's a sense of a, a lot of the Bible talks about a we rather than a me. Hmm? A we rather than a me. So it's about us. I have identity because I'm part of this church. There's a kind of so. What do I? What do you do? What do you? And I can ask. You know. Yeah. Well, I, I serve on kids, and I I, I do the coffee, and I, I'm. Back there, kind of working the slides. I, I'm part of this thing. This is, I work out my life of faith because I'm part of a community of faith. And that is so important. So, so, there's a lot of times I think that in Christianity, we, we, we kind of hear it sometimes as sort of boiled down to it, it's really all about my personal walk with Jesus. I come together on a Sunday with a lot of other people, but actually it's so that it's about my walk and it's about me learning how to walk better, walk for Christ. There is that, but there's also, it misses a huge thing, which is about being tied in to a bigger vision than just, well, it's about me. It's not my vision it's not that my vision is separate. It's, it, what we should be saying is how can my service, how can what I'm doing, how can my finance, how can my prayers, how can they get behind the corporate vision? How can they serve the bigger thing? What are you, you know, that's, that's the question. And that's the question we should be asking. What? How can, I, how can I connect with that? I want to say that maybe there's some of you here and you're visiting. That's great. We, we, we love visitors here. Um, I just want to say make sure you do get connected in to church, local church, local church, okay? Not internet church, local church that actually says this is where I'm serving, this is what I'm doing, being part of something together. The amazing thing is about the fall of Jericho in Joshua 6, which we'll read in a second, is that all the people were in unison. They were all in unison. And I don't mean if you work for the local authority. They, didn't, they weren't in... in <laughs> I, used to be, I used to work in the local authority. So unison is the trade union that, that is for that. Yeah, so they weren't that. They, but they actually were in unison together. They did exactly what Joshua said. And Joshua did exactly what God said to him. They all acted in faith. They were all obedient. And the fact is, it wasn't just that, that 99% were. It was 
100%. In unison. It was 100%. It's like God acted. God did an amazing work of bringing down these walls. He saw 100% faithful obedience and faith. Let's remind ourselves. It's found in Joshua 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Jumping down to verse 10. And this is him now talking to the people. And Joshua commanded the army Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. It was very precise. And they go around the city. So once a day for six days. Being absolutely silent. And then on the seventh day. They go around seven times. And then blowing of the horns and ending with a huge shout. And this is what happens in verse 20. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. And so everyone charged straight in and they took the city. I think about that and think, wow, the discipline it must have taken for nobody to talk for six days as they're going around. I mean, you know, it's not just, you know, we're going to go around and, you know, and I don't want any, any, it was six days. And you're thinking, what are we, just imagine it. Okay, you're going around this, this really, as we'll see in a second, this really fortified city. And they're going around it and there's these huge, massive walls. And you're thinking, you know, first day, yeah, it's quite nice. You know, second day, you're like, oh, he's got this right. Third day, you're really starting to kind of think, we really feel like a real Charlie here, you know. And they just, you know, here we go. Um, but you know what? There's a united front. Everyone was needed to follow. Couldn't have some doing their own thing. It took real faith to simply follow. No complaints, okay? No complaints. That's what you're going to get, isn't it? That's, that's the likely thing you're going to get is complaints. You're going to get like, like how, how long are we going to keep doing this thing? Are you sure about this? I mean, you know, come on. I mean, no complaints. Interesting thing, isn't it? <clears throat> that the issue of no complaints was exactly the problem that their parents had. Exactly the problem their parents had. Remember that only two people survived. Out of all those of the Moses generation, and that was Caleb and Joshua. None of the other generation that had left Egypt and traveled in the wilderness for 40 years with this promise of entering the promised land 
None of them, apart from Joshua and Caleb, entered. Why was this? We're told in Hebrews 3. So we see that they, all this generation, were not able to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. They had, they, there was a lot of unbelief. They, we know, you can read it, where they just complained. They were complaining about Moses. They were complaining about this, about the food. They were complaining about like a water. They were complaining, and they were complaining and complaining, and on they were going. Do not think it was very pertinent of God to have this thing where this new generation, this younger generation, was kind of called their first, this is their first thing. This is their first city. There's lots of other cities. This is their first city. And on the first city, they're called just to keep quiet <laughs> and just to all together now, we're going to do this all together. We're going to go around this every single day. We're going to go around once a day. And I, I think actually there's a part of that that kind of reflects back. It's kind of like, yeah, this is a new generation. We're going to be different than our parents were. We're going to be a people of obedience. We're not going to complain. And we're going to be a people of faith. We see Moses was denied from entering into the promised land. He was able to see it from a distance, but wasn't able to physically enter in himself. Why was that? Can you remember why that was? Well, there was a lack of water, wasn't there? And he, he went and God spoke to him and he said, speak to the rock. And as you speak to the rock, water will come out. I want you to go and do that. And he went. And he didn't speak to the rock. He hit the rock. We're thinking, well, what's, what's the difference? Hit, speak. It was really significant. He hit the rock. Two times. Why so exact, we might say. Isn't God being a bit over the top? But you know what? I just feel like this is a kind of reset. <laughs> This is a reset, another a kind of test of faith that actually the people here, can you just go around this city wall? I mean, how is this gonna let, how is this gonna bring these walls down? Us just walking around this thing. Surely we should be doing something, firing rocks at it or something. No, just walk round. And I just want you to be quiet. I think there's some connection between what, God asked Moses to do and what these people did here. He just couldn't just speak, could he? He couldn't just say it because he didn't, he, he, was, he was wound up and he just, he hit it. He was actually angry. He kind of hit it and it was like he just needed to obey. This is the first city of many that they take and God wanted to set it up as a sign of things to come where the people were going to act differently from their parents. He wanted a generation that acted differently. Ones that were united and a people of faith. They were going to be able to walk around a majorly fortified city for six days and keep silent. Not complain. Not ask loads of questions. 
just to simply and quietly follow through with what God had said. No matter how odd it all seemed. It, 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 it is odd. Let's be honest, it's an odd thing. We read it because we're like, oh, well, yeah, that's in the Old Testament. Yeah, we, we, we. But it was a really odd thing to do. Yeah? Let me give you a bit of background about Jericho for the history buffs here. Um, so uh, it is uh, seen by archaeologists as probably the first city to be completely fortified with a wall. It's quite a big thing, isn't it? The first city. Um, it measured, and it, these are exact measurements, 225 meters by 80 meters. It had a circumference of 600 meters. And it housed somewhere between two and 3,000 people. So size-wise, how big is that, you might say, Matthew? Well, it's a, actually smaller than Wembley Stadium. Wembley Stadium has a circumference of, of 1,000 meters. I looked it up. Okay, so it's smaller than that, 600. Um, you know, in, in many ways, as I kind of look at it, I'm thinking, it's a bit like Murrayfield. <laughs> so it's not huge. You're thinking, you know, okay, we need to walk around this this morning. It wouldn't be like, gosh, that's really difficult. You know, it's like, you know, obviously the seventh day, they had to go around seven times. But, you know, I mean, for six of those days, they were going around Murrayfield like once, you know, not talking. Um, there's actually been a lot of kind of archaeology and they've unearthed some of the original walls. So they actually have got pretty accurate measurements of exactly where those foundations were. So they can actually look back, which is quite interesting. Um, after Joshua's campaign, after the, the, the city was abandoned for about 100 years, sorry, several hundred years, um, we hear about it again in sort of 1 Kings 16. And then later on, we hear that um, Herod the Great, so this is sort of Jesus' time, um, actually used it as a kind of winter residence, um, one, of his, one of his places to go to. Um, and it had a lot of springs around it, so it actually was quite well watered, and that's probably why it was a city in the first place. So, God's people didn't take Jericho. It wasn't like the other cities. God did. God did. It was a total, it was a work of God, wasn't it? Come on, walk around Murrayfield once a, you know, once a day and then walk around seven. Yeah. Wow, we took it down. It's like, no, no. God did an amazing work. He was demonstrating who he was. It was unique in a, a number of ways. They knew that there were many cities that were, would resist them. Okay, we've got lists of lots of cities like Hebron and Eglon and Ai. And these are battles. Jerusalem, Kadesh, Gezer. Um, but Jericho is unique. It was the one that God gave them without fighting. It was really a matter of faith and nothing else. You know, 
we can get into a little bit of magical thinking when we read this account. Often God calls us to step out in faith and he does it in such a way that we've never done before. We love to follow patterns, learn the formula, follow the recipe, learn how to do something. It's a natural thing, isn't it? We, we do it a lot these days. You know, we, how, do, how do I cook that? We just look it up. We maybe Google it or go onto YouTube. Um, how do I change the bulb that's gone in my cooker? You know, and off we go. We, we look it up. And we're looking for a previous pattern. We're kind of going to copy that. I want to say that you've got to remember that the children of Israel, they came out of Egypt. And Egypt was just inundated with kind of magic. And the people around them were actually, you know, the Canaanites. They were kind of heavy into magic. Hogwarts was kind of on the national curriculum for them. Um, and um, so they had a sort of spell for everything. And you can fall into the mistaken trap when you kind of read this passage of trying to kind of learn the formula. So you actually, and I've seen people kind of do this, and it's a problem. And you kind of say, so six days, significant, seven and it's a kind of godly number. That's kind of like probably why, you know, now why was it six silent? Why was it seven times and then seven? And we're kind of like, now there must be some, must be something I'm trying to see in that. The, 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 the silence and then followed by the shout. Was there some kind of geological fault line here that was actually going to be kind of set off, you know, when, when they did this particular action? And we kind of, we want to kind of attribute this, what they did with some way of it happening. Maybe this kind of repetitive action would cause some sort of earthquake or kind of landslide. I want to say this, there was no magic formula. There is no significance to the seven days or the seven times round or the ram's horns. It means nothing. It doesn't mean anything. What do you mean it doesn't mean anything? It was simply something that God was saying. This is what I want you to do. But what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? It doesn't have to mean anything. I'm just telling you to do it. Why, why are you telling me to, sh to talk to the rock and not hit it? Because that's what I'm asking you to do. Because I'm God and I'm asking you to do it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Stop looking for patterns. Or you're just going to become weird. Yeah? I mean, we can get kind of crazy, kind of looking for these patterns all the time. That we're kind of looking for patterns, you know, if you see it, I've, you know, people look for numbers in the Bible, all sorts of things. It gets, it's, it's bizarre. Study focusing on the pattern and not on God. God wants us to focus on Him. This is God. This was a God work. God did this. We need to focus on him. 
this great story in um, Matthew 17. And um, certain men come and start complaining to Jesus about their lack of paying tax. Not paying tax. I see you're not paying tax. And you know what he does about it? <laughs> Goodness me. You know. And he, and he just says, Peter, go on. Go and fish. First fish you pick. Pick it out. And you will find a coin in that fish's mouth. And you will then go and pay all the tax we owe with that coin. Ah. Uh-huh. So what Jesus is trying to say is that in order for us to pay tax, we need to go fishing. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying he was demonstrating, I'm almighty God. I can look after those kind of things for you. I can even know that this fish over there, whatever one it is, but I know that whatever it is that you you actually catch, that is the one that is going to have the coin in its mouth. Yeah? Peter walking on the water. It It wasn't really a sign about how great Peter's faith was. Something that we're sort of then thinking, oh yeah, we, we need to follow that. How, how many times have any of you seen Jesus walking on the fourth? Not many. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was, but it was something for Peter. Maybe, obviously Jesus knew what he was going to go through. How he was going to kind of come to that point of denial. But actually, here you go. Actually, I'm showing you. You can actually walk on the water too and I'm going to call you because I'm actually on the water. I'm calling you. It's not a pattern. It's actually something that God was doing and demonstrating. God turned water into wine. Demonstrating who he was even to his mum and brothers. We do end up with some very strange and bizarre practices if we try and copy all the various ways that God acted in the past. And you know something, God has, uh, I've just picked out a couple, but you know, I I look at Anne and my life and there's just loads of things where actually as we stepped out and trusted him and, and also to help us to step out and trust him, when we're kind of like, ooh, this seems really scary, God's actually given us little things that, as I'll talk about them, will seem utterly bizarre to you. But actually for us, they meant a lot. For us, God was saying, I'm with you. And I believe I'm saying this so that you too don't just copy those things, but actually can believe God that God is for you. And he's with you. We were, um, before we got married, um, Anne and I, we wanted to get married. We were kind of part of a kind of Christian group that had very heavy kind of leadership structure. It was overly controlling. And um, we... Actually, we couldn't just decide ourselves that we were going to go and get married. We actually needed kind of permission from leadership. 
to do it. <clears throat> and uh, so we were waiting. We'd kind of been, yeah, okay, that's, that's good. We're happy with that. But actually, we were waiting for when that was going to happen. And uh, we were waiting and waiting and waiting months. Um, and there was a day where I, I'd said to God, but I hadn't told Anne, you know the red jumper? And it looked a bit like this one. Okay, with a polo neck. Except it was actually even brighter. It was vermilion red. Uh, and um, Anne hated it. Okay, She just hated this red jumper, which obviously made me wear it all the more. Uh, and she just hated this red jumper. And I knew that it was, she would never be seen dead in this jumper. And there was a day where we were moving... Uh, moving home, uh, all her stuff was in the new place. Um, she didn't. She was getting cold. Uh, I was kind of like tidying up and doing a bit of decorating and stuff. And I was up this ladder, uh, and then, and I, I, I can still remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, and she came in, and she had on my red jumper, and it was like I looked round and I nearly fell off the ladder because I kind of saw it in this red jumper, and I knew. Immediately, and she's like, "What? What was the matter?" I said, "You've got my red jumper on." She says, "Yeah, yeah, because mine's all the other place, and you know, I, I'm cold, so I, I put it on." And I said, "You don't realize how significant that is." <laughs> she's like, "Well, what are you talking about?" I said, "Well, I had this thing where I spoke to God about it, and I kind of laid it out. I said, God, if you know, this thing with the timing, I'll know that when Anne wears the red jumper, that actually it will be time and." Literally, within a couple of days, the kind of leadership had kind of said, yeah, no, actually, we're fine now. Well, you know, you, you guys get married. And it was like, it just happened. And it was just, it was something, and it was just personal to us, you know. And it was a bizarre thing. Like, why did you choose that, Matthew? I do not know. But <laughs> I did. And it was like God kind of used it and kind of helped us in that. We were moving here, and um, we had our house in Newcastle. Um, we were wanting to buy something here. We put it on the market. hadn't got any sale on it. Um, I put it on the rental market. Still hadn't got anything on the rental market. We would really, the, the pressure was built. We needed to move. We needed to get, get going here, and we needed to be here. And uh, Anne had seen these flats over near Leith Walk, and... Um, I'd had a day at home back in Newcastle where I'd been kind of praying about it, decided to ring them up, rang them up. I said, okay, is it available? They said, well, it might be tomorrow. Every flat's gone, but there is one that is available that might be available because the person's got a reserve on it, but it's going to come free tomorrow. I rang up tomorrow on the next day. And um, has, it, has, it, has the reserve come off? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to come up right away. We'll, we'll be there, right like ASAP, taxi, train, straight up. And, um, and just before that, I had this call. And this was a sort of a group of businessmen that kind of had plowed their money together to kind of build these block of flats in, in near Leithwood. And uh, one of those guys rang up and rang me up directly. And he said, and you've got to understand my name, okay? So I'm obviously Matthew uh, Clifton Brown, okay? 
That's my surname. And he went, is that Anthony? I said, sorry? <coughs> is that Anthony? I said, what are you talking about? No, it's not Anthony, no. <coughs> he said, is that Anthony Clifton Brown? And I said, no. And he, <laughs> he said, no, come on, stop messing about. <coughs> it is Anthony, isn't it? And I went, no, 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 it's not. It's not. What are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying to me. And he said, so that one of these businessmen was called Anthony Clifton Brown. Okay. Not that I knew. I mean, it's a fairly unusual surname. Okay. <laughs> there are a few, but not many. And he said, one of these businessmen, Anthony Clifton Brown, he said, I just thought when I saw the last flat had gone to a Clifton Brown, I thought it's just Anthony who's kind of, kind of done it and kind of like has kind of bought it or has kind of put his name down as a bit of a joke maybe for the rest of us. And I thought that was you. And I said, no. And I kind of like put the phone down and this thing was just like, it was like my name's on this flat, our name's on this flat. And it was like, it was like really, I mean, you know, a really unusual thing. Be like Daviditis or something, you know. <laughs> you know, it was like, a, it was so, so strange and so kind of out there. And yet, why, what was happening? What was happening was that God was just helping us in a very difficult move, a, de- a big step of faith for us to actually say, yes, your name's on this flat. Yes, this is of God. You need to take that step. And it just so encouraged us. It was a kind of personal encouragement. So I'm saying God uses things that he knows for us will boost our faith. It helps us. It encourages us to step out. It wasn't a formula. Formula. I'm not telling you to kind of think about red jumpers or, or you know, in anything else with that, I'm simply saying, actually, God wants to speak to you about believing him, even in unusual ways. Don't say, oh, well, God would never do that. God doesn't work like that. Because you've only just got to open up your, what Bible are you reading? <laughs> because there are some really unusual things that God does. And God wants to lift us in our faith. So these are some things, maybe as the band comes up, um, these are some things that I want to just apply for us today. First of all, I want to say, God can do what he likes. Don't be surprised by his actions. He knows us intimately. He knows how we tick. He knows what's special for us. He's done some amazing things in the Bible. We see donkeys talking. We see the sun going backwards. The walking on the water, the making the blind eyes see. These are amazing things. He does what he likes. Don't put him in a box. Don't limit him. Walking around the walls of Jericho was, let's face it, a really bizarre thing. And secondly, don't look for formulas. 
it's important that we follow his spirit, him. We're focusing on him, not on his methods. The consistent is that God is always looking for a people of faith, no matter what generation you're from. The way he worked yesteryear will be different from the way he's working today and in the next generation. It's important that we follow him and his spirit and not just the methods that he's used in the past. Thirdly, I want to challenge you with number three. What are the invincible walls that you need bringing down in your life? What are the things that you are like, yeah, that, this is just impossible? I want to say, you know, the generation I'm from is the generation when apartheid was still rampant in South Africa. And it's come down. I'm from the generation where we literally walked through you know, Checkpoint Charlie and the Berlin Wall because there was a, a communist government. That you would have said, this government's going to come down. We said, no, no, no it's not. It's, it's here to stay. It's not there. God has brought things down. And there are, there are things in your life that might seem utterly impossible, but actually God wants to bring them down. Are you believing him? Even to act in unusual ways to do that. And fourthly, he's not a divine slot machine. This means that it's not about you having great faith, okay? It wasn't because they had great faith that the walls came down. This is an important point. It's not a, it's not a sub point. This is a main point. We can look at it and say, yeah, well, it's because they had so much faith that the walls came down. That's not the point. That's not what it's saying. God brought the walls down. It wasn't because of their faith that he brought the walls down. God brought the walls down because he's God. <laughs> the issue of faith was that they had faith in this almighty God. And it's really important that we don't start this kind of other crazy root of faith that is kind of like, yes, yeah, some people have got faith like this and some people have got faith like this. And, some and it's like we sort of got different grades of faith. And oh, well, these are obviously people who just had faith for wall falling. You know, <laughs> it wasn't the case. It was that God was doing that. So when you pray, when you pray for somebody that's really sick and you're praying, God, make them well, it's not about, well, how much faith have you got? Have you got enough faith for this person to become well? I want to say that's not what it's saying. It's saying, do you believe that God is big enough to make this person, he is powerful enough to make this person well. Do you believe, are you faithfully believing that actually God is God? That he can, he can walk on water, he can make blind eyes see, 
He can turn water into wine. And he can do those things in your life. Do you believe he's the same God? Because actually this is about your faith in him. Not faith in faith. Okay? <laughs> and it's really important that he's not a divine slot machine that we think, oh, well, if I do this and I demonstrate faith, then actually he'll do this. Please don't do that. And finally, let's believe God together as a church. So this corporateness that I started with. Let's believe that he can bring down the intellectual pride and atheism of our city and see it replaced by thousands of men and women giving their lives to Christ in highest praise. Yeah? Let's believe and we stand together in unison. We believe together. We say, yes, we're going to do this together. Yes, we're going to be united together in faith, believing that Almighty God is the only one that can change a hard heart. But we're standing together as a church and saying, yes, we're believing that you can change our city. Amen. Let's stand.